welcome to the Deadology Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Weiner, and this week I'm coming to you from the state of Florida. There was a big uh, snowstorm ripping through the uh, Northeast, um, besieged my beloved hometown of New Paltz. I picked the perfect time to uh, do a vacation, uh, visit some relatives, visit an old friend. And while I was down here, I interviewed uh, one of my best friends, a longtime taper. Uh, so this is season two, episode two of the podcast. Um, I started a new season on New Year's Eve, New Year, new season, my rules. <laughs> so it's uh, season two, and this is the second episode, and I'm sure you're going to love this one. Uh, the taper's name is Doug Schmel, and this this guy is just such an interesting personality, and he has the such a great love for for the Grateful Dead, unlike anybody I've ever met in my life. And I had the pleasure of touring with him and uh, getting tapes from him from from years. So that that he definitely helped create the uh, the person I am, the the guy who writes the books and does the podcast. I owe a lot to to this guy Doug. Um, and just he's such a great person to interview, and all this enthusiasm is going to come through. Another exciting thing about uh, this interview with Doug is that Doug doesn't do social media. Uh, you haven't heard him on Facebook. You haven't read his posts on Twitter. Um, he just doesn't do social media. Everything with Doug back in the day and still to this day is word by mouth. And so it's kind of cool that I'm inter- getting to introduce him. Unless you know him, this podcast will be introducing him to an audience of uh, deadheads who are definitely going to appreciate this guy. You got to love him. So without further ado... Here it is, my interview with Doug Schmel on January 7th, 2024. All right, now we're at the pop-up studio in West Palm Beach. I'm at one of my best friend's house, Mr. Doug Schmel, uh, a prodigious Grateful Dead taper back in the day. Uh, Like I said, one of my best friends, and this man has turned more people onto Jerry Garcia uh, back in the day by word of mouth than anybody except Jerry Garcia himself. Uh, so, Doug, uh, say hello to my uh, audience. Welcome to the Deadology Podcast. Hey, thanks, uh, Howard. Yeah, Howie and I have been buddies and best friends for a long time since we met in high school. It's an absolute uh, pleasure to be here speaking to you guys. All right, let's let's uh, let's go right back to how it all started for us, 1980. Uh, I'm living in uh, Nanuet, New York. You're living in Spring Valley, five minutes away. We were loving classic rock albums. We used to obsess over them, listen to them nonstop, and then something changed. You went to sleepaway camp, and you came back a different person. Tell us about your sleepaway camp experience. Yeah, so this was 1980, and I went with a couple of friends, one of them, Mark Krieger. He's the one who turned me on to this camp, and he was a counselor there. So I went with him. I was only 17, but, you know, I think it was 17 was the, the minimum age to be a counselor. And there was one guy in particular there at the camp, who listened to a lot of Grateful Dead. And I had started listening to them sporadically before that. I just remember knowing songs from Europe 72. That was the album that really resonated with me. And a guy had a stack of bootleg cassettes. And he was playing them. And the guy turned out to be a major taper in the day. His name was Steve Maisner. And I could not believe what I was listening to. And when I came back from camp, I just remember telling Howie and anybody who would listen how great Jerry Garcia was. Because as much as I loved the music of the Grateful Dead, and I did, what stood out for me was Jerry Garcia's guitar. The sound, the tone, uh, his liquid leads, everything really resonated with me. I I just remember I was looking for something in particular. I loved all the classic major bands of the time, but none of them stood out for me as my band. I wanted to have a band that was kind of, I could something I could call my own. And when I found the Grateful Dead, they screamed out, this is your band, Doug. And it was because of Jerry Garcia. So I remember telling Howie and a lot of other people, you got to listen to this guy. He's unbelievable. And that's kind of what started our incredible love and uh, following for the Grateful Dead. Yeah. So yeah, I remember uh, when you came back, it took, took me a couple months to really uh, understand it and uh, get into it. It's like a foreign language. If you've been listening to classic rock all your life, then all of a sudden you're presented with these long jams that are tempoed with jazz and all kinds of influences. It's it's, it's like taking it's like hearing Spanish and you, you know and you've been talking English all your life, 
But uh, yeah, eventually, eventually had the breakthrough and we were on our way, man. <laughs> so uh, your first two shows interest me. The first two you saw, obviously the Philly Spectrum one, and what was Radio City, the next one? Correct, yeah. yeah the, maybe the, you could talk a little bit about those two shows. Yeah, the, the Spectrum show, I went with a couple of guys. August, one, August 30th. Yes, it was August 30th, uh, 1980 at the Spectrum. And this was right after camp, so right, right after I caught the bug. And my friend, who Howard knows from high school, Charles Wolfe, he indicated, let's go see the dead. And there was a couple of guys, the Bruno brothers. These guys were very cool. They were long-haired, serious partiers like the dead. And somehow we hooked up with them and we went to the show. Funny aside, we left to go see them thinking that the show we were going to see was on the 29th. Turned out that was the wrong date. They played two dates at the Spectrum. We were leaving to go to the Spectrum on Friday the 29th. I'm pretty sure that was the day of the week. Turns out the tickets we had, because I looked at tickets, I was like, guys, this is the wrong night. We got yeah. tickets for the 30th. Turned out the 29th was a great show, but yeah. not nearly as great the 30th. But the fat experience changed my life, and I'll tell you why. We got there, we were a little late, we had to wait on a line, and I actually missed the first three songs, I believe, of the set. When I walked in, I believe they were playing Friend of the Devil. So we for the, the we missed the feel like a stranger. One of the best ones. Yeah, it was a great stranger. So you know it sucks, but listening to it now afterwards, I was like, wow, this would have been great to see. But a lot of these songs weren't that familiar with me at the time. Mostly were, but I'll never forget walking in, settling in our seats, listening to Friend of the Devil, and then the set went on, and I could just I was blown away by the fact that every person in that audience was standing and singing along with the songs. And I was like, what the fuck have you been missing, Doug? This is incredible. Look at the passion. Look at the energy. They sounded great. Everybody was into it. And they ended the first set with Althea. Now, it's funny. I didn't know Althea was called Althea at the time. I remember looking at uh, uh, song lists and cassettes that had the word space. And I thought Althea was space because the line, this space is getting hot. So I was like, oh, this must be space. And that Althea is the hottest one bar none ever. Yeah. It blew me away. And then to end the first set was one of the top three, if not the number one greatest Jack Straw of all time, and how we will confirm that. It blew the doors and the roof off of the spectrum and left me speechless. I was just so freaking out. And it just the, the amount of energy that I just heard and the incredible sound of the music and the participation of the crowd and the clapping, and it just blew my mind. That was a defining moment for me. That's when I realized this is it. This is the band I wanted. Why have I not been following them all these years, you know? Again, I'm only 17, but I knew about them at 14. I knew about them at 15. They had just played a few months earlier at the Nassau Coliseum in May. I probably could have gone to those shows but I didn't get it. I didn't know it. I was not on the bus. Yeah. And boy, was I on the bus. That, that Althea Straw, man, what a, what a, just, yeah. I, I can't imagine anybody who likes the Grateful Dead, there's no way you could not love that if you were there because it was just so obviously hot. It's not, yeah. it's not a subtle, not a little thing that, guess what, uh, you Correct. know, Correct. everybody there had to be blown out of, out of their minds by those two. Yeah. Ending. People singing along with the lyrics. They knew the lyrics. I didn't. I was just jealous. <laughs> and then I, it really hit me. The second set was also phenomenal. They did a great Scarlet Fire. I believe there's an Eyes of the World. Fire, yeah. There's a great uh, Sugar Magnolia. I believe there's a, a, a Not Fade Away. Second set was also great. But what I really remember from that show was the end of that first set. And that was it. I was on the bus. And I wanted more. Yeah, really, there's, there's something about Althea. Because for me, I, like I, I saw it in my first show. I didn't know what it was either. I didn't know the name of the song. Space. And Madison Square Garden. And... Um, you know, and when I heard the tape of, th of the 3981 Madison Square Garden, it was my first show, you and Pete Soul played the tape for me, and I heard Althea, and I was like, my God, what is this? What a great song it is. Amazing. And I think John Mayer had the same uh, exactly. reaction That's hearing the, song the Nassau Coliseum version of uh, Althea. So yeah. there's something about that song that's almost like a lit litmus test to whether you're going to be a Grateful Dead fan or not. Yeah, that's the type of song that you can easily turn onto a non-deadhead and they will get it. Because the lyrics... Or if they don't get it, they're never going to be a deadhead. They'll never be a deadhead, correct. That's the kind. And my second show was at the Radio City Music Hall, which was a great show, 10-23-80. I remember they played Casey Jones, uh, I believe, to, as a previous end of second set or as an encore. Great uh, show. There was a music never stopped. Not as hot as the Spectrum show, 
But that was a great show. And seeing an acoustic set yeah, was great. Yeah, what experience too. to get into radio scene. Yeah, it was great. I didn't have to take, I, I went with a guy um, what we knew in high school, um, DeSalvo maybe, I think last name, great guy, yeah. Into the Dead. So, you know, I learned there were so many people Into the Dead, and I didn't really know much about them. And it was just great meeting these people and being turned on to the music. And my third show, you had just mentioned, was three. Was three nine eighty one the three, Madison Square Garden show? Was your three ten or th no no three nine? Oh, you were at the show. Correct. I didn't go to three ten. Oh, wow. I went to three nine. That show was phenomenal. Yeah. Great Uncle John's band. Great feel like a stranger. So I'm now three for three in shows, and and, and I'm feeling like this band can do no wrong. Yeah, and it's a, and you almost get that feeling like it's your. I felt this too. It was like my presence being there kind of made <laughs> them hotter somehow, you know. And I think everybody gets that feeling when you catch a lot of good shows. Correct. Like, and then, uh, from that three nine eighty one show, what sticks out as a great China Cat Sunflower. Oh, I yeah. know you write it. That really blew me away. It's that huge. was great stuff. Yeah. So this is my first China Cat. So now, you know, I'm, I'm already on the bus. I'm loving what I'm seeing. I'm trying to go to as many shows as I can. In fact, I believe it was either later that month or a couple of months later, I saw the show at the uh, Hartford in Connecticut. A great show with an unbelievable sugary. Feel like Stranger Sugary. Correct. Right? So sugary started, and, and I think Howie had, uh, you know, attributed the Hartford as being the mecca of the sugaries because yeah. there are so many great sugaries in Hartford and Connecticut, including Jerry Garcia Band. So it's just funny that you would mention that in one of your books, and it's true. So I'm well on my way. This is now 1981. I'm an impressionable 18-year-old uh, at the time, and I couldn't even listen to most other bands at the, at the at this point i wanted that to listen to more jerry garcia more grateful Dead. sure i was right. just i was coveting it i was craving it and that was great seeing garcia band back in those early days my, my first show was the palladium i saw uh, the capital yes one what was, your, what was your first garcia show i believe it was like 213 or oh, two yeah. it was uh, <laughs> one of those early shows before i even saw the garden show of 3981 i saw them with pete stowe they were phenomenal. I remember seeing a catfish, John, how sweet it is. I was blown away. I mean, at this point, I'm like, this guy could do no wrong. Because yeah. I saw so many great shows. I hadn't seen a bad show yet. And sure, there's bad Grateful Dead shows. Would I have enjoyed it if I had been there? Probably. But I saw nothing but great shows. That's yeah. what really did it for me, you know? That's so, definitely me too. I had the same, same experience. It was great to, get, to get into it. If you saw your first show and it was a bad show and we knew shows that, that Jerry's just not on, the band's tired, they're distracted, yeah. whatever. But, but yeah, people seeing them in, in the 90s, and not to say they, were, they weren't as great, people were so, still so enthusiastic about the music and Couldn't the culture. Can you imagine but, seeing them in yeah. the early 80s, you know, or for me, seeing 72. them in the 70s, which, <laughs> you know, as yeah. Howie knows and a lot of you will probably soon find out, that's my year, 1972. They could do no wrong. To me, that's the best year. Hey, yeah. We do have a lot to get to, so I'm going to, one more thing before we jump ahead to your taping days. Um, Alpine Valley. I, I remember I'm at, I'm at tennis, Tennyson Park, we're playing basketball. You come up to me, you're like, hey, Howie, you want to go to the Midwest and see Garcia? And, uh, you know, of course, I'm saying yes. I decided to check with the parents, make sure it was okay that I took the car that I inherited. But it was August 7th, East Troy, Wisconsin. That was like our living the on the road. I never had read Kerouac before. But, yeah, uh, we ne never did a road we, trip, we, I think, before that. We, yeah, a, a couple that was a of Glens Falls and stuff. But that was, right. Wisconsin was another... Uh, right, Glens Falls was in New York, upstate yeah. New York. <laughs> I was going to Albany. For, for me, that was easy. It was just a couple yeah. of hours, I think, north. But when we went to Alpine Valley, that was a great trip. Where did you come up with the idea? The, the... I, I just remember seeing, or somebody mentioned that they were playing there, and I heard that this was a great place to see a show, a great outdoor show. I heard that Wisconsin's beautiful, and that it was by an area called Lake Geneva. On a lake. It's just a beautiful area. And I was like, why don't we go do this? We can do it. It's over a weekend. Little did I know, well, they played two nights. Little did I know they were playing two nights after this in Iowa. Yeah. And we could have gotten to yeah. Iowa. We, I never took the next step to this early part of my taping yeah, we and never, touring days. We had no idea what the tour looked exactly. like. Exactly. You know? <laughs> I remember we ran into... Uh, we ran into Ricky Barish. Oh, yeah. And the we ran guy into from Spring Valley. And, yeah. and the other guy who Glenn, uh, 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 I forgot Glenn's name, but Glenn Mayer. Glenn Mayer was a good friend of mine. Ricky Barish, I knew, was a huge deadhead. And we saw them in Alpine. And sure enough, they had just come from seeing them, I think, in Kansas City. So these guys knew it. They were a little older than us and realized, yeah, you're going to go on tour. You do the whole tour. <laughs> Howie and I didn't know about that. Yeah. 
So you're like, oh, they just played in Kansas City? Yeah. And oh, they're playing in Iowa? The Kansas City Iowa. show was great. The Iowa show was great. Correct. There was that, a great time. That first Alpine show, the open music, sugary music, uh, may not have been the hottest one ever, but it was just like, I'm here. They're doing this because I'm here. They're playing my, <laughs> my, my two favorite songs. I remember after the show. the show, Howie would not stop saying music, <laughs> sugary music. How did they come up with this? Like, yeah. it was so creative. It's not the greatest music ever, and it's not the greatest sugary, but it's just the ingenuity behind it and the creativity that really... Now, it is the best Let It Grow 10 that first oh set. Oh, my God. <laughs> the Let It Grow 10 that first set was truly phenomenal. That's literally one of the best Let It Grows, if not the best, that I've ever heard. And yeah. I have... It was a re an official release, that show. Yeah, and that's it what it was. It was uh, Dick's Fit 22 or something like that. Yeah, amazing. Now, is that the show where they opened the 32. second set with the China Cat? The yeah, great China Cat also. Great China Cat. I'll <laughs> never forget that. We were really, we were just so impressionable at the time, but we knew we were great, seeing great shows, yeah. you know, and appreciating. That's cool. We were, you know? we were hunting Garcia's next great jam. That's, it, you know, everything was cool. It was great seeing the On the Road. It was... All, all the culture was great, the drugs were great, but really, I think that me and you were on the same boat. We were just looking for the next great jam because we knew we would get it. And, correct, and, correct. Uh, and had listened to the music for years. So. And we knew people were taping, and, and Pete Stoll had turned me on to tapes from this era where people were starting to tape, and I got a lot of tapes from him of recent shows, so I knew about taping. And this was something that I knew, hey, I could probably get this show after, you know, we went to Alpine. And this so, is a good lead-in for the taping. I want to get to hear how you got into taping. Do you remember what your first show was? That I taped? Yeah. Ooh. Was well, it yeah, it, it was 1983. It was 1983 that I started taping. I was at Albany at the time. And me and a couple of guys, Larry Gindorf, and there was another I'm guy. sure Larry will hear this. Larry listens to the podcast. Yeah, Larry Gindorf was big instrumental. Shout out to Larry, a great guy. And, and a guy who got into the dead very quickly. When I met him first year of college, he was into Genesis. And he didn't understand the Grateful Dead. But after listening to a couple of Jack Straws, one from the Sanger Theater and a couple others, forget it. Genesis didn't mean that much to him anymore. And all he wanted to do was listen to yeah, the Grateful I have Dead. To, I have to interject something funny. Um, so we're leaving for Alpine Valley. I pull up, I pick up Doug. And I was heavily into Van Halen before I got into the Grateful Dead. Doug comes walking to the car. We're in the best mood. We're about to go to Wisconsin. And he holds out these Maxell tapes. And he says, Howie, this is bad news for Van Halen fans. This box. It was, <laughs> I'll never forget that line, man. It yeah. was like, no, at the time, you know, I, I wasn't trying to be antagonistic. Because Eddie Van Halen is a great guitarist. Not my style. Maybe it was before that. But I was just trying to convey the genius of Garcia. Yeah, just, and how people how, how underrated this yeah. guy. Because if you listen to albums, you're not going to get it. But here I have a stack of bootlegs portraying how unbelievable this guy is, how amazing a guitarist he is, and people just didn't get it. So this was my like shout out to the world. Hey, Howie, this is bad news. <laughs> I, knew it, I knew what you meant, man. I didn't take it personally. <laughs> hey, so, so yeah, so in 1983, I'm in old. We started taping. My first show might have been uh, uh, Richmond. Or wow. uh, yeah, because uh, you brought the you brought the equipment with us. Correct. Too? Wow, I don't even. This remember is that. what we did. We understood that a lot. We you know there were some other people in college in Albany that had been taping, and I learned the best way to get the stuff in because this wasn't this was prior to the sanctioned taping section and taping shows. Yeah. Correct. So this is 1983. We learned that the best way to sneak stuff in is somebody has to act as an invalid and sit in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. We rented a wheelchair. And we had somebody who would always be the guy in the wheelchair. And sure enough, you put all the taping equipment underneath the wheelchair. They had plenty of room there underneath. And that's how we started sneaking stuff in. And we taped, I think, every show of that spring tour in 83. We did Richmond. Fall tour. Uh, right, fall tour. <laughs> Correct, because college started. Yeah. This was now, say, uh, September. Right. And this was... Now, I had seen shows, uh, if, if you recall, in spring of 83. And I did the whole tour. Yeah. That whole tour, I missed I think, two, you did the whole one. I right? missed one show was in Orono, Maine. I, that's true. I missed one show. We caught the Brendan Byrne shows together. Were you, were you at Providence? Yes. In April I was a, correct. The only show wow. I did not see in the spring tour of 83 was Orono, Maine. But I wasn't taping yet. And then sure enough, the, the beginning of the semester in September is when this all started. So uh, we taped, I think, every show in that Full tour, and they were oh. great shows. Oh, so you actually started that full tour? Correct, oh, okay, in 83. Gotcha. That's when it started. 84, when we finally, they, they sanctioned the taping, 
I was sending away in that mail order and getting the ticket so I could sit in the taping section and I started taping every show. I bought a microphone. I bought the, uh, uh, you know, the tape stand. I was so well-versed in how to do it, especially after we did it with the wheelchair that I was not doing it on my own, not needing a wheelchair. It was easy and I loved it. Now, it's funny. I don't really listen to those shows much now and I still have them on cassette. Because, you know, my tastes have changed. I'm a seven, late 71 to 74 guy. Those are my, you know, pr but primal years. But they were essential back in the day. Oh, my God. We would listen to those shows, and, and, and it was our formative years, you know, the Grateful Dead. And I'll never forget that. How much fun, the excitement that I felt the morning, waking up knowing that there was a dead show that night was palpable. I'll never forget that. I mean, classes, I would go to class when I could, but knowing there was a dead show that night was the driving force behind my, like, college oh, existence in, yeah, in yeah. We, 83, 84. Well, well, everything else was secondary. If I had, a job, if I had a job and I had a second job. And, yeah, if you had, had a girlfriend, <laughs> secondary. You could meet another girl. Yeah. Going to see the dead was the primal important thing, and that was the driving force of early, you know, college years. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got to ask you, you went to uh, the one amazing uh, set of shows you went to. I didn't, I, I was always jealous. I never went there. How was the Greek theater when you went out there for the 20th anniversary? Oh, yeah. That's when I graduated from college and I was about to start law school. So this was in between, you know, ending my college experience and then going to law school. And I'll never forget that. I was you know, a little nervous. I, you know, I wanted to continue with my higher education, but... Uh, you had a uh, higher education to attend to. <laughs> but the important thing was seeing as many shows as I could, and I'll never forget, those Greek shows were great. I believe it was June 14th, 15th, and 16th of 1985. Yeah. And those were great shows. I had a great time. My birthday is June 17th, so it was kind of a birthday celebration for me, too, and knowing while I was in law school, I might not have the time to see as many shows. As it turned out, I saw a lot of shows in law school because, again, the law school was important, but not as important yes. as going to see <laughs> The Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia. So, Yeah, hey, um, one other experience I want you to share with the audience, and I, I talked about it. I talked about how this happens. Um, it was one of the most incredible moments in our Grateful Dead history it was that Madison Square Garden Morning Dew show from September 1887. I described it in, a, in that podcast on the show, but I think it's better to hear it from the horse's mouth. I'm going to have Doug tell you about how he snuck into the garden that day, because I, I think it's an amazing story, and it was a formative night. And your tape, man, the, the tape you made that night, incredible, man. It's just, it's just the audience is so loud Correct. and it's beautiful. Correct. Yeah, I'll never forget that. It's one of the greatest moments besides my Grateful Dead life of my life. That's a show that I turned back to. It's been officially released and the soundboard quality is great, but you're right, the audience is great. So I was in the middle of, of doing this tour. I was in law school at the time and I was in the middle of doing this tour and I had seen the show, I believe, on uh, September 16th. Great music never stopped, if I recall, to end the first set and I taped that. I had my, uh, I didn't have my microphones with me for some reason, but, oh, I did, but somebody let, had a better spot and they let me patch into their, uh, so I take the 16th, great show. The 18th, for some reason, I couldn't get a ticket for it. was for. Friday night, uh, Touch of Grey was a hit song, they couldn't were on Letterman the night before. <laughs> the 16th was a Wednesday, it was much easier to get, I went, that was the show I was talking about, and now I'm going to the 18th, I went with my friend Jeff. We go to the garden from law school, you know, where we went to at Hofstra, and we figured we could get tickets. How hard is it to get tickets? We had some money, you know, we're willing to pay whatever. Nobody had any, there were no scalpers scalping tickets. Nobody had an extra ticket. We we're walking around for like hours, it seemed. Nobody had a ticket. I'm panicking because I didn't want to miss a show. And I figured these guys are hot right now. The 16th was a great show. And I wanted to see them, have my taping stuff with me. You don't go to a show, you don't have your taping gear and not get into You knew tape. you'd get in, but it was going to be a... Uh, it was a bad. <laughs> I didn't know how. So something stuck with me. So my friend Jeff and I are thinking, how are we going to do this? And I thought my friend Steve, who Jeff knew, Steve Goldstein. Shout out to Steve, one of my best friends. Knew him since I was a kid. Literally one of my best friends I ever grew up with. Our parents were best friends. He worked for the boxing department in the Felt Forum, which is... Now I think it's called the, the Paramount Theater, yeah. but that was the basement area of the garden where they would have boxing matches, they would have other concerts. Grateful Dead, 1971 played there. Correct. <laughs> they would have shows. I saw Jerry Garcia band there yeah, in 1982, an unbelievable show. So I knew he had worked for the boxing department. I'm thinking, hey, maybe if I get in touch with Steve, maybe he can do something, get us tickets. I called him up. He still was there because he worked late, I remember, on a Friday. This is, again, we got there so early, it's probably only 5 o'clock, 5.30. 
because we wanted to get there early enough to get tickets. I reached him. I was like, hey, is Steve Goldstein there? This is his, his buddy Doug. I knew the number for the boxing. And he, they find him. He's like, yeah, Steve's still here. Gets on the phone. I'm like, Steve, I need your help, buddy. We need tickets. I'm outside. He's like, where are you? Steve then comes outside. He looks around. He's, you can tell he's thinking something. And he says, all right, come. So me and Jeff followed him. We walked into the felt forum through the main doors. Nobody else could get in because he's an employee. He's got a, a badge or whatnot. He then takes us through an area of the felt forum. Then I'll never forget. We go through this ramp that takes, takes us towards the garden. We then go into an elevators that takes us up into the main area of the garden. He lets us off the elevator, and now we're on one of the mezzanines of the garden, one of those levels. I forgot what sections, but, you know, it was red seats, blue seats, green seats, whatever the colors back then. And now we're in the garden. Steve was like, guys, you're on your own. I can't do much more for you now. So I'm thinking he's going to try to get us tickets or something. So it went from getting us tickets to sneaking us in. We're now inside the garden with our taping gear, with our bags of stuff, with the taping uh, uh, equipment in there. And we don't have a ticket, and it's only about 6 o'clock. The show wasn't starting until like 7.30, and I, I assume they let people in at 7, around that time. So Jeff and I are like, what are we going to do? We walk around, we see some security people, we saw people setting up in the, in the uh, concession stands. And we're like, we're too early. They're going to bust us because we don't have a ticket. And somebody says, hey, guys, how'd you get in? So we did the most logical thing. We went to the men's room. And inside the men's room, we just hung out in there. We went into a stall. We're just sitting there talking. Finally, you know, the half hour goes by. Somebody comes in, and we realize it's the maintenance guy. <laughs> so the maintenance guy is about to clean up the bathroom. We didn't want to get caught. So we stood inside the stalls on the toilet so he wouldn't see. And if he went to go in, we locked the door. We said, oh, I'm in here. You know, that was it. He wouldn't have known we were tapers. He wouldn't have seen our bags and our taping equipment. We did this for a good half hour, just standing on the toilet, wow. Being silent, not saying a word, kind of laughing to ourselves. How like, long was the guy in the bathroom? Oh, you know, probably 15 All minutes, right. you know, doing <laughs> wow, this thing. Like yeah, yeah, cool. cleaning up. And you he know, didn't go into the stalls. Didn't go it's into amazing. the stalls. He might have knocked and we just say, hey, I'm in here, Bob, yeah. you know, something like that. So this took a while. And, and all told, we were probably in the bathroom for at least an hour. <laughs> Finally, we hear somebody walk in. And you can tell these were now Grateful Dead fans, yeah. deadheads who had come in. They finally had let the audience in. You know, it was 7 o'clock. And once we heard somebody say, I'm psyched for the show, walked off the stall, got down onto the ground, opened up the stall door, and we beelined down to the taping section where we had our tickets. And we were a little late, but we set up in time, and we were so excited. It, the excitement, I've never felt that before. And we knew it was going to be a great show. Now, the first set was actually a great set, a little short, you know, yeah. it was maybe only six songs, but... That second set is an absolute classic. It really and, is. And the, the crowd willed it because oh, it, no it, it wasn't like super hot, but by the time they went after drums, it was just the crowd willed Unbelievable. the best Watchtower morning dude. Oh my like, God, you know. it blew my mind. And I'll never forget afterwards, we did an interview. A lot of times after the shows, we would talk about the show on tape because we had a lot of tape left, you know? We would bring, you know, at least three cassettes that could hold four and a half hours of music, you know, an hour and a half each cassette. So they probably played for close to three hours. We had a lot of tape left. And I'll never forget that. The interview we did just, you know, spooing about how great the show was. Talking about the Morning Dew, the Watchtower. That was the first Watchtower I've ever seen. I know they had played it before, but that was the first Watchtower I'd ever seen. And it was incredible. The Knocking on Heaven's Door encore was phenomenal. Just a great oh, yeah, show. Yeah, hearing, the, and hearing the Watchtower going to the Dew, man. It was uh, unbelievable. During Watchtower, like they had that and great good first loving thing. And the good loving and the It's a great second set. It really is one of the greatest second sets I've ever seen. I just, I just remember as that Watchtower was ticking down, I was like, I think a Morning Dew's ready. If they go Watchtower Dew, this is going to be better right. than here, man. Because like, if it was Watchtower, Black Peter, sure, the Black Peter might have been hot if it was... Warfrat might have been hot, yeah. and they had played Warfrat, I think, on that tour and did a great Warfrat, yeah. but it wouldn't have been the same. And that Morning Dew is easily the greatest Morning Dew I've ever seen. Second one is probably a Maine in Augusta. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's yeah. an incredible yeah, Morning Dew. We saw that one, but that Morning Dew, it, it, it really, it, it's one of the defining moments of my great Yeah, yeah. Garcia wasn't capable of doing what he did, but he, the crowd kind of willed him to, to the greatest heights on the that The emotion movie. and the singing, when yeah. he says, uh, uh, I guess it doesn't matter anyway, I think he said it yeah. three times, and the last one, his voice 
crackled with such the emotion. Crowd, the crowd was responding properly to every note and gesture. Every, correct, every amazing. every note. It was a, literally a religious experience. It's yep. hard to describe it uh, anything other than that. And I don't even believe in God, but that moment was a religious experience. It was. Oh incredible. yeah, definitely. And it's, that's what you know, definitely a religious experience. Hey, the. Um, so that was the tape I was most excited to get. I, I would always get my tapes from Doug after a show. And he said, like, if it wasn't a hot show, I wouldn't track him down. <laughs> but I remember I was 18th row at that show uh, with my girlfriend at the time. I dropped her off in New Paltz, got rid of her. <laughs> I left you the tape, and I came back from New Paltz. Oh, back you to, taped back it for to, you? Yeah, you taped it for me right away. You always, if it's a hot show, you always got it to me right away. Yeah, so yeah. So you, you dubbed it for me sound right away. Sound quality of there, that. There was, no, there was no way I was not getting that right away. <laughs> Phenomenal sound quality, if you, yeah. if you recall. Yeah, because we were in a taping section. Oh, man. By, by the way, Doug's, um, I, I uploaded your version of that onto the onto YouTube. If you look up the 91887 Morning Dew, it's audience, and that's the one Doug actually taped. Wow, so, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, thanks for the shout-out. Oh, that was great, man. I'll never forget that. And the interview after really summed it up. We were just so full of happiness, glee. We were <laughs> blown away with what, what we had just seen. And knowing where I had come from, not having a ticket, probably thinking at the time, I might not get in, and I've never been shut out from a show. To the way we got in, the joy of getting in and setting up in time the, the equipment and taping the show... And that morning due and the rest of that second set was unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable to this day. I will never forget that. It brings tears to my eyes talking about it. Literally. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, definitely one of those moments you, you never forget. Um, so, so kind of wrap up this taping thing. Did you upgrade your equipment as you went along? Maybe you want to tell people about what your equipment was. They might find that interesting. Sure. I, at the time, I used a D5. Everybody knows a D5 was that small cassette that Sony made. It was great. It was for cassettes, obviously, and it's primitive in today's technology, but this was right before they upgraded to DATs, yeah. DATs. A lot of guys were switching to DATs, and I didn't think I needed to because even though I wanted the best quality, I could. I figured the cassettes were good enough, and little did I know the cassettes were going to be outdated within a couple of years anyway because CDs yeah, came yeah. along yeah. And after the DATs. So I was using the Sony D, uh, D5, which was a great great uh, 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 tape machine. It was fantastic. That's what most of the tapers used. And a lot of guys were using Nakamichi microphones. I used what's called the Sennheisers, which were a little less treble, but more bass. And they had a different sound than the Sennheisers. Sennheisers also had these uh, uh, extended microphones that would stick out. And I figured that might, when I started, that might tip somebody off that I was taping the show and I wanted to be as cautious as I could. So the Sennheisers were smaller, didn't stick out as much, but they made some great sounds. And I have so many cassettes of the shows I taped just sitting in a storage facility. <laughs> the reason I don't listen to them is, again, I kind of moved on. The 80s are not my year. 1980 is in the early 80s, yes. But I listen to mostly yeah. 1970s. so easy to access all the stuff if you need it. Exactly. Yeah. I could still get it. And they're all online too. But these audience tapes that I made, it's just incredible. The whole experience. It made the whole experience of seeing a Grateful Dead show that much better and more appreciative that you know you can tape a show and then listen to it right after the yeah, show. I benefited more than anybody because I didn't <laughs> get involved in taping at all, but I knew I had the tapes. <laughs> right, after every show, yeah. exactly. It's kind of funny, man, like uh, personality types. I think if I went back, like if, if it were today, the type of person I am now, I would be taping. Oh, of course, I then, had yeah. to. Yeah. The, the music was so important to me. I knew I'd get it. I saw like, guys yeah. doing it, and I was like, I want to do that. I needed to listen to a show after. And believe it or not, Howie, one of the shows that we went to that was the impetus for me wanting to tape was after that Buffalo show at Rich Stadium. We saw Dylan and the Dead. There was a guy who had the tapes on the plane. We were flying back from Buffalo back to, to where we lived in, you know, in, in downstate New York. And he had a copy and he, I, he let me listen to The Fire in the Mountain. That uh, Fire yeah. in the Mountain from that Rich Stadium. You didn't, you didn't take I think that show? No, I did not. Oh. For some reason, I was taping at this point because yeah. this is 1987. But it was tough for me to bring all the stuff on a plane. And I, I oh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, I, I didn't want to do it. But he had it. And I just remember listening to the, to the show right after the show. There's something to be said about that. Oh, it was great. You don't yeah. lose any of the, you want to look. Why did I just still riding hear? the high. Exactly. Yeah. You're riding the high. You, know, you want to know what the, it, was I just, you know, uh, fooling myself? Or was that just the greatest, you know, uh, birth I ever heard? Yeah, yeah. You want to confirm your thoughts and your feelings of the music. So that's why the, the taping aspect is so great. I don't remember the year, but the one year, you, you'll remember doing this. Um, we were in the Hampton Inn, in, uh, in, not a Holiday Inn in Hampton. 
and there wasn't there like a, a tapers almost not a, I wouldn't say a convention but a, about ten guys knew each other. You were one of them. We came in with all the double decks and Correct. there was this big huge exchange of uh, tapes. Believe it or not, that you might be thinking in North Carolina. Maybe it was not. Yeah, there was a guy. I forgot his name. He was, was a you guys had like four or five Correct. Decks. It was Larry Gindorf was there. I think uh, his buddy was Andrew Klein. Oh, yeah. We Klein. set up. We had the double taping decks. I had mine. We brought with us. And we were doing this unbelievable trade taping se session. Yeah. That, we we must have taped. These tapes could have came out. It was unbelievable. Out. <laughs> there was a guy who I, I knew was a taper. He was a great. I think his name was Scott something. Scott. I can't remember his last name. It kills me to this day. Great guy. And... We were going to see a show in North Carolina, probably in Charlotte or Raleigh. Yeah. And sure enough, his parents had a house in North Carolina. We went to the house. He set us up. He let us tape all of the cassettes that he had because he left to go to the show to set up the <laughs> tape. And we were just, we stayed for five, at least five, six hours taping everything we could what? before we had to leave to see the show. And he left us his collection. He said, wow. just put them back. And we taped everything. And there was three double decks hours. there. Oh, yeah. Going this correct. Double all, speed. Correct. <laughs> double speed. We were doing everything as much as we could. I must have made 20 new cassettes in that afternoon before the show started. It was amazing. Yeah, there's a lot to remember. Forget. I think there was one time in the, the Hampton where there was a bunch of tapers together. Oh, we of course. A, the, the, a huge yeah, exchange. This North Carolina really sticks out because it was a guy's house and it was a great... He left us his entire collection that he had at his parents' house. And I had access to it in an afternoon and I went nuts picking out all the best shows. Because he said, no, there's a soundboards and these are audiences. And I just took wow. every show I could. And uh, it, I was in there applauding. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> right. You got the benefit of, of all the taping later on. And the Betty boards came out. That was pretty exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but for me, you know, aside from taping and this, what changed my life, as you know, is that damn suitcase. That Europe 72 suitcase oh, yeah. when that came out. I was a 77 guy, such as hey, you. Before, before we jump, I want, I want to close with the Europe 72. So hang, hang sure, on to that thought sure, for a second. Sure. Got it. Hey, so um, let's, let's do one, one Dylan thing, man. I have this, one of my favorite memories of your taping. Uh, it was a Dylan show. It was July 21st, 1989. Right. I think a part of you were doing it for me because I love Dylan so much. Correct. You, you know, you enjoy taping when you went places. I was seeing a girl at the time and she wanted to go see Bob Dylan. I was like, I might as well tape it. And I had the taping equipment. And this was somewhere in southern New Jersey, I think. Yeah, geez, uh, Garden State Performing Arts Center, Homedale, New Jersey. Right, right. We went, and I stuck in the equipment. And at this point, I was using a microphone that you could slide into the brim of a hat that I was wearing. Wow. They wouldn't allow the taping equipment out, sure, but they yeah. would have dead chance you, you were sitting, what, in the second row? I was row? sitting in, like, third row, and I was wearing the hat that had the microphone, and it came down through my shirt into a bag, which I had the recording, the tape recording uh, and I got busted somehow. A woman must have seen, she was letting other people into our row and she saw inside my bag the light of the taping recorder. Yeah. And of course she saw the meters. <laughs> so she didn't notice anything with the hat because it was a perfect cover. The microphone would go through the top of the hat and you couldn't see it. It was one of those tiny microphones. But she was like, you can't, what are you doing? I was like, oh, nothing, it's, it's a flashlight. <laughs> she said, like, what are you doing, it's a flashlight. I was like, it's a flashlight. What I need to, if I'm drinking the soda, I need to see the soda. I want to make sure it's not, you know, totally done. I need to see how much soda is left. important. Oh, yeah, the carbonation, <laughs> I got to check. The, I need a flashlight. And she said, that's not a flashlight. Are you taping the show? I was like, I'm not taping the show. It's a flashlight. She then walked away and she came back 10 minutes later and she saw the flash. She looked at my bag. She's like, are you taping the show? Because that's not allowed. I was like, lady. If I tell you it's a flashlight, why would I lie? And even if it wasn't a flashlight, who cares, you know? Yeah, and he also said, I think at one point you changed your story. You said, that's a camera. And you're like, <laughs> exactly. The flashlight thing wasn't working so well. And then this is coming out on the, on the Dylan tape now. <laughs> this, most of this is going on during Just Like a Woman, which, which makes it even funnier. And, and the woman's there. And D Doug was incredible. He went from flashlight to, to camera. He's like, don't worry about it. It's just me and my girlfriend. Like, uh, right. I tried, from where I was coming from, lady, what's the big deal? It's just me and my girlfriend. I'm not hurting anybody. And if I'm recording it, it's not going public. I'm and not going to sell it commercially. You're going to have to check it in with a security guard. Right. And I didn't want to hear that. I was like, lady, just, just be trust calm. Me. Trust, trust me. Trust me. Right. me. There's a lot of trust. I was like, trust me. 
Nothing bad is going to happen. Everything's cool. And she walked away and she never came trust back. Trust me, this will come back to harm nobody. Just trust me. <laughs> and I take the whole show yeah. and, you, and you have it, It's correct? incredible. I would have folded it. I would have been like, please don't throw me out. I'll put the tape away. I was so persistent. I did not crazy. give up. I did not. I, because I was, I, I felt in my right. Why am I not bothering anybody? Who yeah. cares? I'm not going to sell this commercially. And it's such, a, it's such a great Dylan show. Uh, there's a, he did a rare Van Morrison song, One Irish Rover, a great version of Rolling Stone at the end. It was I'm sorry, I listen to that tape so much. You, but you still so have it? Yeah. I need that. I yeah, need that. Just great, that for, you know, my own edification, my own yeah. mementos, you know? Yeah, I think on, um, I have a Facebook page. I'm going to try and print out. I actually listened to the tape and did an exact exchange between what you said and what the guard said. It's the funniest thing ever, man. And you, but when you responded, you were responding in hushed tones, so not to hurt the tape. Exactly. I didn't want the to hurt the tape. Integrity. Correct, yes. right, right. That was important to me, so I tried as much as I could. Not to interfere with the taping, but we, you and I also taped a Dylan show where you had to pretend that you had a peg leg. I think yeah. it was called. <laughs> I wore the you, baggiest sweatshirts. Right, and... <laughs> to have the taping equipment, and you had the tape stand in your sweatpants on, with City your leg. That was it was another great show. Man. Unbelievable. <laughs> wow. unbelievable. Didn't we screw up and I forgot to put record on for like the first set or something? Me or? and I, I remember part, I got part of the tape, at least it was good. And event, but eventually, it's a weird thing. That's one of the Dylan shows that did come out on a oh, soundboard. It's a bootleg soundboard that's right amazing yeah. yeah yeah i'll never so. forget that so my taping days not just grateful dead i taped you know couple. dylan a couple of the shows i taped the radiators when they came wow. into new york city how many uh, dead shows did you think you taped and when oh when, when when about was your last one i'll never forget it i believe they stopped 1988 i believe so or, uh no no that's wrong because it, 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 right right it was in the early 90s and i'll never forget i was in a show I think in Chicago. And the problem with the taping is you had to constantly send away early to get the seats in the taping section. And of course, you'd have to send the money. You'd have to do it perfectly on a postcard. They had very yeah. re regimented instructions, as you know, to get these taping I seats. I wouldn't know because I didn't do it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like, ask other <laughs> tapers. It was hard. You had to send them out early with the money order. Everything had to be perfect. If you misspell the word Grateful Dead, they would send it back and you'd have to do it again. So <laughs> I kind of just got sick of that. And I was just sick of, you know, having to worry about taping it. And I knew I can get tapes from other people. So, yeah, this is now yeah. the early and 90s. Possibly Correct. they weren't as hot as they Correct. were. Correct. Know, so. There's no way that they were as hot when I was seeing them in the early 90s. Correct. But I still love the dead and I would go see them, but not with the frequency, you know, that I had in the 80s. There's, yeah, there's so no doubt. You did take the Branford uh, Marcellus show on um, Nassau Coliseum. Correct. Uh, that that one was that's that ninety ninety that was ninety right correct yeah. nineteen ninety I was, was there and I was taping I believe the date's three thirty nine three twenty nine ninety with correct Bradford, Bradford unbelievable show that was a run of shows at the Nassau Coliseum that were great and I taped all those shows yeah. and they were phenomenal that, that, I, I really enjoyed those shows that, that's going to lead to my next question mm -hmm. was that's the one I, I a show I could have should have went to. But I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't go. I went to the Knickerbocker the week before. Correct. I, I wasn't seeing the desert, and I regret not seeing that show. Was there a show you missed that you you, you kind of regret not? Yeah, four, six, I think eighty-two. 82. I, I knew, I knew that was going to be your answer. Well, there's a reason. I'm now in Albany. You know, we were doing the the that tour. This is the spring tour of eighty-two. I wasn't taping yet, but we were going to all the shows, and it snowed like seventeen inches yep. in Albany and and, and Buffalo. And I'll never forget, there was no way we could make it to, to film. Yeah, that was impossible. Without the snow, I would have gone, but it, we were snowed in, literally. I know you went, and I have that sound, but what a great yeah, show. So That's I, we, a we, show that I you know, yeah, lament missing. The yeah, well, we had we had the, the same uh, snow in Nanuet, New York. It was 17, 18 inches. Right. But, but we only had 15 minutes to go to get to the Jersey Turnpike where there was no snow. Correct. So it was actually pretty easy for us. Right. For well, me, it would yeah. have been, forget, it would have taken me hours, and I didn't have the people to go with. I would have had to have driven by myself. I didn't even think I had a car at this point up in Albany. Yeah. And so I couldn't do it. But right after that show, I did see the shows at Nassau Coliseum in April 82, and they were great. Yeah. Oh, that, that, was, that was an amazing Great tour. Great show. Unbelievable tour yeah. in 82. For, yeah, so that, that sure. snows the April 6th show. You had the great second set with the Shakedown, oh, the Terrapin, Morning Dew, Sugar Mac. The only time that ever they ever played those four songs in one show. Is that true? Wow. And, and, phenomenal. I haven't heard that tape in a while, but that's a phenomenal show. That's probably the best show of that tour. Maybe one of the best shows of 82. Yeah. And I missed it, but hey, you know, you can listen to it now. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, oh, that, that's all that matters. Like the Bramford thing, I love it more than anyone could love it. I wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. Those those shows are amazing. Yeah, those hey, are. Since we're on that April 6th, 82, you remember what happened four days later on the drive back from Rochester? 
Oh, is that when you fell asleep for the uh, entire ride back? Oh, oh, you're talking about when we hit the deer? The deer, yeah. Oh, there's an unbelievable story with that. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, hey, I so think we, 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 we didn't see them in Syracuse. We saw them in Rochester. Rochester yeah. Right. Did they, we wanted to see them in Syracuse, but we couldn't make it. This was during the Jewish holidays. I'll never forget that. The night before, I'm at a Seder in my grandparents' apartment in downtown New York City. You and I were on the phone talking because the next day was the Rochester show. We're trying to plan how we're going to go. And my father's like, yeah, it's fucking Passover. You know, <laughs> uh, how are you going to see the dead? It's, it's Passover. He didn't, he didn't get it. And my uncle was kind of sympathetic. He understood. He was like, well, maybe you could get your buddy to drive because my father wouldn't let me drive. It was I didn't even own a car. It would have been his car. Yeah. But you, I, may, I may not have been a big taper, but I was a great driver. Great <laughs> driver. And he took us to all the shows. So we hooked up. You were able to get the car. We drove to Rochester. It was a great show. First, yeah. That's the first time I drove to a show. True. <laughs> we went, drove there. It was a great show. Didn't they do the satisfaction? Yeah, maybe sat, going down the road, satisfaction. Satisfaction, yeah. and then maybe a baby blue yeah. or something. We, we even predicted, at this point, the shows were more predictable. And we're thinking, well, they just played Not Fade Away the night before. What are they going to end with? And we predicted going down the road yeah. like satisfaction. We were able to do that, you know? And that was a great show on the ride back. I think we slept in Rochester yeah, that Gold, night. Yeah, Goldie's house. Uh, yeah, yeah, or we went and slept in Syracuse yeah. because my brother went there and, and, and Michael Rosenblatt uh, uh, was okay. going there. And we stayed at one of the you know guys' houses in, in the college dorm. Next day, we're driving back and we hit a deer on the, <laughs> on the New York State Thruway. True story. For, first time I, I took, first time I'm taking a road trip in my life. First time I bring the car out to see the down the, way, on the, car, on the right? way back. You didn't I own it, I believe. It was no. your dad's car, yeah, yeah. right? I, I see this deer on the hill, and and it's running towards the throughway, and Correct. I I hit the brakes, and it was we're like, going south on the throughway. Yeah. He hops Deer's the deer, is go, went <laughs> over the northbound lanes, over the median, and keeps uh, skipping along into the southbound lanes. Directly into the path of our yeah. car. I, I saw it. I it hit was the divine brakes. intervention. Yeah. There was nothing we yeah. could have done to avoid. I mean, it. I, I love, I love deer. You know, so it's there's nothing really funny. But we hit this freaking deer out of nowhere. We, we were live. That's amazing. Exactly. The deer, right. the deer was could've... going fifty. We were going seventy. Right. <laughs> we we could have died. So yeah. somehow, and then the deer. Of course, we stopped the car to look because we were flabbergasted. What just happened? And of course, there's nothing we could do. We then left and we were panicked, so we started speeding to try to go home we were, and, yeah. and make sure the car was okay. The car and sure enough, we got stopped by, by a cop. cop. Five minutes later, he had no sympathy. He gave us the ticket. Right, we explained to him what happened. He's like, oh, you were supposed to report that. So we got a <laughs> ticket for not reporting hitting a deer. And there was blood still dripping oh, on the front all over the Oh, all over the front grill. And now oh. this was a 78 Chevy Caprice, so it, <laughs> any other car would have been totaled. So right, this, right, this right. Car, this was a we big drove, car. We drove it home, man. Yeah, and, we drove. And it was repaired. Uh, luckily, my dad was a very nice man. He repaired it. And he went, didn't care went, much for deer. So. <laughs> yeah, but it went on for uh, several years. Oh, yeah, that shows, was the man. car that Capri. We took to so many shows. Unbelievable. That I'll, I'll synonymous the great Grateful Dead shows with, with that red Chevy Capri. Yeah, yeah. Doubt. Hey, and then the, the, the other funny thing is our last show together, uh, our last road trip together, we saw Jerry Garcia band in the Merriweather. Correct. And we're coming back from there. And as usual, we, we, had, we were down to the last cents in our pocket. <laughs> we, we never came home with 100 bucks in our pocket. Oh, never, never, never. We would buy T-shirts. We would buy weed. Yeah, so, we would so do what we had to do. We're, we're, egg rolls. We're holding out the gas. We're like, one more exit. We got to this, it was a, the Philly exit. We, we ran out of gas. First time we ever ran out of gas. But we were only like 50 yards from the gas station. We saw the gas thing. station. It was right there. I saw the sign for Texaco or Sunoco. And we literally had to push the car. 50 just yards. Maybe 50 it was yards. amazing that we got 50 yards We got away. that close. And we made it to get the gas. And it's, 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 it was symbolic of our whole Grateful Dead experience from starting with, the, with hitting the deer to <laughs> running out of gas at our last show. No, together. that's true. The first trip we ever took was hitting the deer and, the, and getting the tickets for that and the last one running out of gas. So symbolic. Unbelievable. Yeah. What a long, strange trip, right? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was incredible, man. Uh, everything about it, man, it was, uh, the arrests, the jail cells. But we, we, we're not, I mean, we're, going through a toll booth. Yeah, that's what you and I discussed last night going yeah, through a toll we're, booth. We're, we're not. We could. Do, this could be like a ten-hour episode, but we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, but what I want to get to is uh, Doug's passion, what he's listening to, and now with the Grateful Dead, and I'll let you take over. Wow. So <laughs> I was a '77 guy. You know, after Howie and I, you know, in our early times, you know, listening to the 80s and goes to the shows we went to. But when I found 77, it hit me hard. All these great shows, obviously Cornell, 
And the show after, the night after, in the War Memorial in Buffalo, that was one of the tapes I had, yeah. the audience that I got from Steve Maisner, wow. also the Cornell. So these shows were such a big part. And then listening to other shows from 77, 11 4, 77, that Colgate oh show. God, oh, my man. God. These are some <laughs> of the greatest shows ever. I was a 77, 77 guy till the day I died. And that's primarily what I would listen to. 78 also, not as much. 76, but not as much. 77 was the year. Until they released that suitcase with all 22 shows of Europe 72. Now, I knew some shows from 72. The Spectrum, 921-72. I had that in my collection. Uh, I got it as a bootleg. Had a couple of other 72 shows, and I liked it. I, it was a different sound from 77. Yeah. Not as muscular, not as loud, not as you know booming with the music never stops, but they were great. And I love Darkstar, and, and this is what really turned me on to Darkstar. But when I got that suitcase with all the shows, I listened to every show. And at first, I didn't get it as much as I do now. I listened to them sporadically, taking a ride in my car. I put the CD in, sitting in my office. I put a CD in so I wouldn't listen to a full show at the same time, you know. Then I started doing that, and it just blew me away. And, and believe it or not, the first thing that hit me from the Europe 72 tour was 921, the Bremen, the uh, a Beat Club show, where that other one, oh, that yeah, other that, one blew that's... me away. And I had listened to 4872, which is, to me, now one of the greatest shows ever. 421 Bremen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the 4872 from um, London, yeah. you know, from... It blew me away. I had listened to that show full driving to Sarasota. So it was, it's about a three hour ride from where I live in Wellington, Florida. So I listened to that show in full on the ride there. And I'll never forget just my mind was blown listening to the Dark Star Sugar Magnolia Caution. I, I knew about the Dark Star because it had been a re released as somebody called the a, a Glastonbury Fair. It was an album that the Dead released with only a portion of that Dark Star. Wow. But everybody used to rave about this Dark Star from London. So then I realized this is the Dark Star that everybody used to talk about. And it's so never, powerful. So uh, you, it's you incredible. Fork, fork, I guess would be and then I knew group. about Frankfurt. They had released that as 100-year hole, but now I had the whole show. Frankfurt, 100-year yeah. hole is a great CD, but there was like 13 songs that they omitted from that. So I listened to that whole show, and it blew me away. I'm like thinking, oh, my God, this is by far, to me, the peak of the Grateful Dead was this Europe 72 tour. Then I listened to Bickershaw. I had never known <laughs> anything crazy. about this Bickershaw show. I listened to That's a four-hour show in from start to finish without counting the break that they did in between sets. <clears throat> and to me, that show might be the greatest show they ever did all time. It's that good. So as I'm starting listening to more shows from Europe 72 and listening to them in their entirety during a trip to Sarasota, I was able to really take in the full concert. Yeah, there's so much, man. It's oh, just... my God. Paris, 5372. Right. To me, that's top three greatest show. In my mind, the seven greatest shows, to me, that's just my personal opinion, are all from that Europe 72 show. As great as 92172 is from because they were playing in these unbelievable auditoriums and theaters that would hold 2,000 people that each had an unbelievable history of Brahms playing there, of Mozart, yeah. of Wagner, yeah. of all these great you know musicians. And, and you're only a couple decades away from World War II. Exactly. Like, you know. it, was, it was amazing. So I took in all that history, and it really hit me hard when I'm listening to these shows in full. In fact, I'm telling you how I just listened to Amsterdam, 51072, the other day. I was able to listen because I drove to Saratoga. It's a three-hour drive, and I listened to the whole show. And what an amazing show yeah, that is. I mean, that's the night before Rotterdam. It's such a great show, but it can't even right, get into the top seven. Of exactly. The it can't. It's not in the top seven. It's one of the greatest probably shows you'll ever hear, and it's not the top seven. And just as an aside, here's my top seven greatest shows of all time. They're all from the Europe 7. And as much as I love 92872 from the Stanley Theater, which You're is one of the greatest show, yeah. shows yeah. ever, 82772, nice. that unbelievable oh, show that's, that's, from yeah, that, the from Vanita there, Olga, yeah. and how much I love 73 and, and 74. The song and that, which they didn't Incredible. Play. Right. They didn't do one bird in Europe 72, but just everything about Europe 72, they, it just tied together. Having Keith and Pigpen at the same shows at the same time, listening to Pigpen on his last oh, yeah. legs, I mean, his voice. Maybe cracking a little, but the emotion in his voice was amazing. So He was this, strong, especially early in the tour. Oh, correct. Yeah. He was amazing. So to me, these are my 
Seven top shows all from 72. This is not open for debate. Obviously, you can agree, <laughs> disagree, but this is a personal opinion. 4872 gets it started. Uh, 414 from Tavoli is an yeah. amazing show. I don't necessarily put that in my top seven. It's definitely my top 10. Yeah. But after that, I go straight to 426. I'm sorry, 424. That show, I overlooked that oh, Dusseldorf yeah. show. That show is unbelievable. And to be honest, I'm going to have to. I, I can't do seven. I'm going to have to do top ten. And bigger story you already said. Exactly. That's my top yeah. show. So I've got all these unbelievable shows. Frankfurt's in there. Dusseldorf. Germany was crazy. 5372 Paris. Oh, yeah. One of the greatest shows of all time. To me, and how he knows I've said this, is the greatest first set that the Grateful Dead ever did. Listen to that first set. It's got like three songs that made it to Europe 72. And it also has the Jack Straw that's on the second set. Greatest first set you'll ever hear. Five seven seventy two that Bickershaw show just for full consistency all the way through that greatest the, the playing in the yeah. band the love yeah, light yeah. the other one to me maybe the greatest probably the, the greatest other, other one together man phenomenal to see me back home yeah. one of the greatest shows you'll ever hear and then after that the uh, obviously the Rotterdam show five eleven and then five twenty three Lyceum oh, and yeah. five twenty six that's Lyceum. the one that like I didn't need I need, I. Gotta say, when I did I, when I wrote the book Europe seventy two, I didn't know five twenty three. I did exactly. It's, it's so easy to overlook a monster show, and that's of a course because there's twenty two shows, and you you know you yeah. never listened to that show before. I had never heard it before you before I got the box set, the yeah. the, the suitcase, and that show is phenomenal. So I might have named eight, and again, I love end of seventy one. I love those full shows oh, in seventy one. They were incredible. When Keith first joined, it was incredible. Yeah, and then when Pigpen comes back, and I think twelve two when they play in the Boston Musical. Yeah. Phenomenal shows. All of 72 to me is great. I love 73. Yeah, I was going to say, give my audience a taste of your favorite 73. Oh, my God. 73, <laughs> 28, 73 from Springfield yeah. is incredible. Springfield, one of the hottest venues they've ever played. Check out any show they played in Springfield. You'll be blown away. And their last one there was 1985, which happened to be a great show. Great right? show. Yeah. So 328, 73 is phenomenal. 4273 is Boston. Phenomenal. The shows in the in the May of seventy three. Oh my God, the show from Iowa, Iowa I believe, is like what the line, five, yeah. uh, five five ten maybe or 15, five, uh, uh, five. As far uh, as I don't know, I'm the yeah, yeah, maybe, five fourteen maybe. Five, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then they played an unbelievable show in Santa Barbara, five which is 20. five five twenty. Yeah. Then they play an unbelievable Keys show. Keys are <laughs> five twenty six. One of the greatest shows you'll ever hear. Then six ten. In uh, that's uh, oh, I the think second the, uh, RFK show. RFK right? show, phenomenal. Yeah. And then you know they closed the year with great show ten nineteen seventy three. Oh, yeah. And Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, show, one brilliant. of the greatest shows you'll ever hear. Eleven ten seventy three. Eleven eleven. That's definitely one of my favorites. Phenomenal. Eleven fourteen. San Diego. San Diego was a big surprise. Right. That first show. That first set might be my favorite. Oh, yeah, that first set is phenomenal. <laughs> Best black throat away. Oh yeah, uh, phenomenal. Yeah. Great, great. I think there's a. Uh, uh, the, to close the first set is a um, China Cat Rider. Oh, yeah, it's a great cat. Phenomenal. Yeah. The, one of the best cats you'll ever hear. 1117, Paulie Pavilion. And also, how about the Nassau Coliseum shows from September? Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Oh, yeah, those shows are great. And also, the uh, I think it's a 911. That's the show from the well, William well, yeah. and Mary. Oh, great morning. Phenomenal yeah. show. And it, it's just, just um, they were so consistently hot in 73. There's so many great shows that year. To me, you know, in 74 has unbelievable shows. But 72, because I'm a dark star and other one lover, I, yeah. long, I love the long, juicy jams. Yeah. Those Every, are the best other ones. Prime, right. Like, having Pigpen yeah. in his last legs, having uh, uh, God Show just joining the band. They you know, exponentially got better starting Europe 72. Oh, just no how does the band get, get that great? Exactly. Like, they were already great. They as great as they yeah. were playing in the Academy of Music, and there's some hot shows in March of 72, they just took an exponential leap when they landed in London on yeah. uh, Easter Sunday. Even that first show, the April seventh show, like um, it's a hot I've show. overlooked it, but I, I, I'm great with that channel. They keep playing different cuts from it. I'm like blown away. I'm like, Damn. it's amazing. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So as legend have it, this is a cavernous place where they played at the Empire Pool in London, and the acoustics weren't that good. So you'll read about it in the liner notes. They talk about how they set up these parachutes in the uh, ceiling to absorb some of the sound. And by the second night, the sound was great. They were feeling great. The audience was responding. And that's why when they came out in the second set of 4872, this might have been the creative peak of their career. Yeah. The trucking is a phenomenal yeah, standalone every, truck. Everything about this. Yeah. And that second set is phenomenal. They did, I think, what's it, Big Railroad Blues, and then, uh, or Ramble on Rose. And that hurts me too. The hurts me too yeah. is phenomenal. And then 
everything, all bullshitting aside, the Dark Star, Sugar Magnolia, and Tocaution, a lot of people will agree with me, might be the greatest 60 minutes of music ever by any band live. Yeah, and, to, I, I, and to end it with the One More Saturday Night. I, I think I'm taking a trip to Hollywood, Florida from here. I think I'm going to go right to the 4872, that, that segment for the ride, man. It's, it's, uh, it's beyond belief. It's that incredible. That, that transition from the start to the mag. Exactly. The like reason it. why I bring that up is I don't think the Grateful Dead had ever... Now, there's some hot shows, there's no doubts, from 69, from 70, some great shows from 1970, 21370. That no, show was phenomenal. That, one definitely, of the, yeah. One of the greatest shows ever. The 5270 Binghamton show is phenomenal. I love that show. I listen to that frequently. 51570. Yeah, yeah. It's just that this was the primal dead. They were going through some changes in 71 and 70 into 71 and 72. Yeah, they had so many songs to work into their repertoire. Exactly. You know, so. By 72, you could just tell that they were just evolving into this monstrous force. And it really took hold in Europe 72. And I point to 4872. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that started out. Because this. I have two more comments on that. The best Cumberland ever in that first oh set. My <laughs> That's God. the last on the Europe 72. By album. far. That's a great first set. They opened with Bertha, Hot Bertha. Yeah. They do a Me and My Uncle, Mr. Charlie, which was a great trio to start the shows in Europe 72. That first set is, is it's not the greatest first set ever, but it's phenomenally hot. And there's a great Looks Like Rain. There's a, it's just. Oh, yeah, yeah. Beautiful with Jerry on the, the pedal steel. Then it's after, phenomenal. The, after the big segment in the second set, after the end of the show, they get the best one more Saturday night ever. It's oh, just, yeah, that yeah. Saturday night is full of passion. Yeah. He's a whale away. Bobby's into it. He yeah. start, He says that Mr. Garcia, take it away or something and like that. Keith, and then Keith and Jerry are just it's, hopping and bopping. It's and unbelievable. Yeah. You can tell. You can point to that show that that's really where Europe 72 started. And they never let go. Yeah. From that show, then they go to Copenhagen, where they were incredible. And even with the days off in between, they never lost any momentum. Oh, of course. So, yeah. yeah, and Jerry, Jerry has been interviewed saying he was dripping with music. The only problem was he didn't get to play enough. They had to have gaps because yeah. they were going from country to country. You can't play in England one day and the next night be in Copenhagen. You had to travel. You had to get all the equipment there. And I get that. But you can tell that they were so hot. They were just so in the moment. And to me, hey, if you guys out there listening and don't have that Europe 72 suitcase, get it. I didn't get it when it first came out. I or at least get, get all the music. I don't know that you exactly. get it. It's not that easy to get the it's, suitcase. It's not. It costs money. But <laughs> the, the, the reason of getting that show, the liner notes are incredible. Yeah. You get to read the, there's a booklet that talks about the tour, which is incredible. A friend of mine sent me <clears throat> copies of all the liner notes. The liner notes awesome. are, are yeah. worth the price of admission just for that. Yeah, book. So I, I, I wish if I go back in time, I do regret not getting the uh And the I paid 800 bucks for this, but it was a birthday present to myself. This okay. was now... It, I think it came out in 73. It didn't come out in 72, did it? What? The the, the box set. I think it was either the end of... 2012? Right, 2012. <laughs> Europe 72 came out. Yeah. So this it came out towards the end of, of 2012, yeah. I believe. And I wasn't uh, privy to it coming out, so I had to get it secondhand oh, right. on Amazon. Right wow. I think it was either eBay or Amazon, but it was the best $800 I ever spent. Because yeah. I go oh, it's, back it's even to tough that to get tour. an 800 now. Correct. Like I got, I think, now, yeah. Right, right. I think I got it at a great price. And again, you get so many extras included. It's just, for me, that's the essence of the Grateful Dead. Because I'm a jam guy. I love the other ones from that tour and the Dark Star. To me, the four greatest other ones are from that tour in sequence. 421 Beat Club, 426 Frankfurt, 5-3 uh, uh, Paris, and then 5-7 um, uh, yeah, Bigger I, Show. I, I love Bigger Show. And you can add, the fifth to me is the 5-10 uh, uh, Show from Amsterdam. To me, those are the five greatest other ones ever. And I forget exactly, exactly what the date order. is. Maybe it might be 5-25 or the 24. Like that the, that uh, was in the Lyceum. Lyceum, yeah. One of those shows has a ridiculous other one. It goes into like Miles Davis kind of territory. I think that's five twenty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the twenty third is that Dark Star into Morning Dew, which is to yeah. me it's just. They, they played uh, seven or eight Jerry tunes out of nine songs. So, and, so you guys, <laughs> yeah, listening could tell. I, I'm passionate about Europe seventy two, and for me, that really was a turning point for me. Again, I was a seventy seven guy. I knew the early eighties. I even knew the seventies. I didn't really know seventy two that well. Just from apart from some of those great shows like Vanita and the Spectrum. Yeah. And when yeah. I got that suitcase, I'm telling you, that suitcase changed yeah, my you, life. You can never know that suitcase well enough, man. It's how you keep going back to it and keep being amazed like you were with Amsterdam. That oh some stuff God. even surprised you after all the times you've listened to it's it. It's incredible. Like this Amsterdam show is so underrated. You all know? right. It's hey, we, um, we've, we've hit an hour mark, man. Wow. We, we, we could have sat here for five hours, no problem. Absolutely. Man. But, Absolutely. Uh, hey, what are you doing later? 
4872 <laughs> is definitely on the... Uh... Yeah, hey, thanks for having yeah. me, Howie. You uh, know, hey, my pleasure. Uh, shout out to Howie for all the books he's written. Uh, I refer to them all the time. When I listen to a 77 show, I immediately go to Howie's book and read his reviews. Because for me, Wait, it's well, engaging. 77 Rise of Terrapination. What a great, great book. And how are you, to, to me, I think that, not, not that you wrote it specifically for me, but your book on 72 Revisited, talking about that Europe 72 tour, I refer to that book repeatedly. Yeah, it was, it was oh. the 50th anniversary. My only regret with that is I wish I had more time to spend on it and do more research. Exactly. You, know. you, you had a deadline yeah, of April I, 8th, if I recall. I decided to write it about five, six months before, so I didn't get a chance to reach out to enough exactly, people. Exactly, instead of know, maybe yeah. a year before. But still, that book, Howie, it's amazing. It's the only book that I know of written specifically about Europe 72. And that's, to me, the pinnacle of the Grateful Dead. So I, I thank you, and everybody should be thanking you for your books and cool. for what you do for the Grateful Dead yeah. community. I appreciate I it, man. I'm, I'm kind of like you. Um, I have the platform now. I got, I'm got. i the author. I'm on you know, Facebook. I got, I exactly, got the podcast. Exactly. This man, I swear, he he turned more people onto the Grateful Dead by word of mouth. Anyone who came into his life, it, it could be the freaking mailman. He would make the mailman listen to the Grateful Dead. <laughs> to end on that note, I, my brother Eric, I got into the Grateful Dead, remind me of an unbelievable moment because I, I visit Eric in uh, uh, 19, I think it was 1990. To I was going there because I wanted to become a, a, a sports agent. I was in law school and I wanted to do uh, entertainment law and be a, one of those sports agents. So I went to recruit, if you recall, I told you the story, Steve Thompson, who was a player for the uh, Syracuse basketball team, and Derek Coleman. So I went there to scout them. I was working for a guy who was doing some of this stuff as a sports agent, but I never got to meet the guys. However, I did turn an entire fraternity onto that deal. The deal you know I'm talking about, I think it's 32783. I had all these guys in a room, and my brother said, Doug, you got anything? Because these guys were just starting to get into the dead because of me. I turned Eric on, who turned this guy on, who turned that guy on, and there were, I was in a room, in a dorm, with 20 guys, Playing the deal from 32783. And these guys afterwards were clapping and hooting and hollering and thanking me. And that's a moment I'll never, never. And it's my pleasure turning people onto the Grateful Dead. The message has to be spread. Yeah, it has to be spread. Guys. It, it was nonstop. It was like there's people that came into my life that I wouldn't even think. You, you never, you never uh, prejudged anybody. Exactly. You, you said every person. Man, any person has <laughs> the propensity to like the Grateful Dead. Just listen to Jerry Garcia. Because when you love something so much, you want to spread yeah, the word. I, I you guess we, share we both, like, you know, I picked that up from the enthusiasm from you, and it's uh, carried on in my, in my career with the books and the podcast. Exactly. And exactly. So. Thanks to Howie for perpetuating, you know, for, for continuing yeah. this, you know. And uh, that, we're going to, I'm going to, when I have certain topics, I'm going to get you back because I think the audience is going to dig this interview and they're going to want to hear you again. So. Hey, thanks, everybody. It's a pleasure. And thanks, Howie. Thanks, everybody out there. We love you and we love the Grateful Dead. All right. Thanks for listening. Peace out. It's fucking awesome, bro. You know that? All right, there it is, the Doug Schmel interview. I want to thank Doug for taking the time to do that. It was great to meet his, his family, including his dogs, Tucker and Blossom. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we, we had a great time reminiscing there on the interview. Uh, very cool to get together with him. And we're going to bring him back for an encore presentation and for a future episode of the Deadology podcast. Once again, this is season two, episode, and that was episode two. Um, if you want to read more about our tales um, from, from the day, uh, my first book, my memoir, Tangle Up in Tunes. There's a lot of Doug Schmel in there as I, as I go through our touring years. And um, once, once I get finished with the dead, I go into my Bob Dylan touring years with the never-ending tour. Uh, Tangle Up in Tunes is uh, available on Amazon, and that's the name of my website, tangledupintunes.com, where also all my other books are available at. Uh, once again, thanks for listening. Peace out.